Well, would you know uh, a great business venture if you saw it, uh, if it was in front of you, the opportunity, would you, would you see it and be able to grab hold of it? Do you see yourself as a bit of an Alan Sugar? Uh, if you were uh, on The Apprentice, would you have got very far? I'd like to think I'm an entrepreneur, but uh, truth be known, uh, history says otherwise. But uh, sometimes uh, great business ideas come from the strangest places, uh, places where you think there's no way that idea would work. It looks like a total dud on paper and yet it turns out to make a killing. Uh, During the week I was uh, looking into this whole area and I came across a site uh, called Stupid Business Ideas That Really Worked. And uh, here's some examples of uh, ideas that uh, on paper just looked crazy but worked. The first one uh, they came across was uh, a product called Doggles, which are glasses, sunglasses for dogs. Now you'd think uh, maybe you sell a handful of those, but uh, the the people who've made them, www.doggles.com, if you want to look at it when you get home, are making an absolute killing out of this, have sold out uh, for 2007 and uh, have a huge backlog of orders. Doggles. Another example, uh, a guy by the name of Byron Reese, sadly no relation, uh, decided that uh, what he'd do is he'd set up a thing called Santa Mail. And what he did is he got himself a postal address in the North Pole and then he advertised letters to be sent to children direct from the North Pole with a little postmark on it with the North Pole, $10 a letter, and uh, he is selling ridiculous amounts of these letters all over America. Again, he's sold out uh, for 2007. You can't order a letter for Christmas 2007 from him, making millions out of this idea. But my absolute favourite, and I, can't, I still can't get my head around how this actually makes any money whatsoever, but there's a website you can go to called the Million Dollar Homepage. Has anyone ever been to the Million Dollar Homepage? That's probably a good thing. Anyway, this guy, Alex Two, 21 years old, decided what he'd do is he'd set up just a normal web page and on it he'd have a million little squares, little boxes, and you could advertise, you could put your product on one of these little boxes and you can hardly see what, what you're advertising on these boxes and he'd sell them for a dollar each. And he sold out earlier this year. A million dollars he's made just by setting up a web page how about you? If, uh, if you saw a good business idea, would you know it? Uh, would you be able to grab hold of it? Well, what we're looking at tonight uh, in these nine verses uh, from Luke's Gospel that we're going to look at, Luke 16, is just such an opportunity. So it's worth turning to that. Luke 16, verses 1 to 9 is what we're going to focus on and it's page 1050 of the Church Bibles. And in these nine verses uh, we come across the parable of the dishonest manager, the story of the dishonest manager. Uh, One of uh, many stories that Jesus told but probably one of the most difficult, notoriously difficult to understand, difficult to get to the bottom of. Everything about it just doesn't seem right. And uh, time and time again when commentators have come across it they've tried to sort of work out a way to sanitise Jesus' words. It just doesn't seem to ring true. Here is a dishonest manager this dodgy guy who is getting commended, what's going on? But while the story is hard to pin down, I think the subject that it speaks of is of such importance that it's actually worth us doing the work to understand it rightly. So that's what we're going to do for a little while tonight. Because in the end, this parable of the dishonest manager is all about business. 
business decisions. It's all about specifically money. That's what it's about. And God knows how important money is to us, how central it is to our lives, even if we don't want it to be, how, how useful money is. Jesus knows it and he doesn't pretend otherwise. He knows how embedded our lives are with money and so he speaks about it a lot. One in seven verses in the Gospel talk about money or our possessions. He talks about it again and again and again. He knows it's important to us and so he talks about it. So let's have a look at this story and see what it says about money. The story itself is uh, fairly basic, verses 1 to 8. There's a rich man, a very rich man. Uh, The amounts he's lending out in this story as as it goes along are huge amounts. He is a giant in the business world, like like a Rupert Murdoch, the sort of guy that uh, earns more money than most countries do. He is in big business. And so given this, uh, he doesn't get involved in the day-to-day details of the business. Uh, He has people do that for him. And so we're told in this story that he has a manager or more literally the word used here is that he has an economist. I mean, that's how big his business is. It's like a country. He has an, it's an economy rather than just a business. He has a treasurer for his business empire. But there's a problem and not a small one. Have a look at verse 1. This manager, this economist has been dodgy and this comes to the attention of the rich man and he knows that his manager has wasted his possessions and he's not happy. It's a fait accompli that his manager will be sacked. There's no ifs or buts about that. That's what's going to happen. He's about to lose his job. No way back. And yet, do you see what he does? Verse 2. This rich man says, look, you're about to be fired, but what I want you to do is I want you to take a moment, a small window you've got, to get things in order. And then you're out on your ear. That's it. Game over. But you have a small window of opportunity not to redeem himself, to get his job back, that's gone, but to get the books in order. Now, I'm not sure what the rich man had in mind here. I mean, it's not usual practice, is it? If someone's totally done the wrong thing in the business world, they're out instantly, no questions asked. I mean, maybe he thought he'd he'd somehow fix the mess and uh, if he fixed it enough, uh, then he might let him stay on. You know, you you get an example of that idea of being able to redeem yourself when you've done the wrong thing with money, in a few chapters in Luke 19 with Zacchaeus, but not in this case. The axe is going to fall, but the manager has this, just this little window and he's a crafty manager. He didn't get this job for no reason. He has just a moment to make plans for his future. And so first, verse 3, he assesses his situation. He knows this is a crisis. He knows time is short. He has to act very quickly. And so he assesses his own capacity. He says, look, I'm, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm not going to get a job in some sort of manual labour and I'm too ashamed to beg. What am I going to do? And so second, he makes a plan. Verse 4, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. I know what I'll do to, to fix my future. Step three, he executes on his plan. Have a look at verses 5 and 6. And so he called in each one of the master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, we don't have much time, and make it 400. 
Can you picture the scene? It all happens very quickly. Just a nervous moment. That's it. That's all there is. And the debtor looks into the manager's eyes and the manager nods. Yes, that's what we're going to do. And the debtor marks it and it's done. In just a moment, this huge debt, massive debt, has been cut in half. The debtor's life changed forever. And now the manager has a new best friend. And he does it again and I suspect again and again and again. It's an ingenious plan, don't you think? In just his little window of opportunity he had, he had nothing, nothing, no, no sort of resources to use to plan for his future. The only thing that he had was just a moment to shape his future, a moment to be able to use his rich man's resources to change the future. And now he has an address book full of new friends, people who will welcome him into their homes. It's a strange story, don't you think? I mean, remember, Jesus is the one telling this story and then it gets even stranger. Have a look at verse 8. You'd expect the manager, when he got back to the rich man, to just get slammed for what he's done. He's ripped him off even worse than before. And yet, the master commended the dishonest manager. Not condemned, commended. The rich man opens his books and starts doing the figures, works out the sums and it dawns on him what the manager has just done with this little window of opportunity. It's cost him heaps. But he can't help but admit what a clever scheme it was. You worked out a way how to build your future in just the moment, that little moment you had. You are brilliant. No wonder I hired you. And there it is. Strange story. Hardly what we'd expect from Jesus. But I want to put it, put it to you tonight that this strange little story has something hugely important to say to us. So what's, what's Jesus getting at? Why does he tell us about this dodgy manager? Well, the key point of the parable, I think, is to be found in the rich man's commendation of the manager in verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. He's praised because he is shrewd. Shrewdness is the big point of this little parable. Practical wisdom. Knowing your situation, knowing how to act in that situation and knowing your goal and setting a course of action that's going to get you there. That's what Jesus is pointing us towards here. That's what the rich man can't help but praise when it comes to his manager. The manager is one shrewd operator And Jesus uses this story to make the point that as Christians we are quite often not nearly as shrewd as we should be. And he says we need to lift our game. In fact, you see what he says in verse 8? He says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. The children of this age, people who live life for the here and now, who are totally unaware of God, uninterested, who don't care about Jesus, don't even know him, don't know about his death and resurrection and the great hope of heaven. Jesus says people like that are far more shrewd and committed to what they're doing than the children of the light. People who do know God. People who do know the difference Jesus has made and how good it will be when he returns. Jesus' accusation is that rather than act shrewdly, we as the children of the light can often be careless and sloppy and clumsy and even thoughtless with the things that we'd say matter most 
Jesus wants us to act as shrewdly as the manager does in this story. And he wants us to be that way because our situation is not too dissimilar to the manager's. Most of us would say, yes, I know that. I know Jesus could return at any moment. I know time is short. There's just a small window. But Jesus says, well, you may know this. We don't always act like we do. In fact, the people of this world are more shrewd in their dealings with their own kind than the people of the light. And he's right, isn't he? Let me give you some examples. The company uh, Coca-Cola, huge company, one of the ambitions they have is whenever they enter a a new city, a new market, they they want the absolute prime advertising real estate in the the big cities of the world. And so you you go to a city like Sydney and there, just after you go across the bridge, you sort of swing around to where King's Cross is and this huge neon sign with Coke and they do it all over the world. You see it in, I think it's Oxford Street in London, right there in the centre. I, I, a friend of mine told me that and uh, he used to drive a cab in Sydney and this is one of these random facts he liked to tell his passengers as they were driving past this sign. But uh, once when he was telling uh, the guy in the back of his uh, taxi, the guy turned out to be the marketing manager of Coke for the Asia Pacific. And uh, as this man uh, started to talk, my friend Justin stopped and just listened. This man was so excited about his job, so pumped, about the product Coca-Cola. And for what? Black sugar water. Couldn't get enough of it. So excited. Jesus says, we are the people of the light who have forgiveness and the hope of heaven and the wonderful promise of restored relationship with God. We have the gift of Jesus to offer this world and this guy with black sugar water is more pumped than we are. Coke's marketing slogan uh, is make every drop count. They don't want to waste a drop. Shrewd operators. Take another example, the company uh, Unilever that I used to work for in Australia, a huge multinational company who are masters at business in a number of areas from from ice cream to soap. And uh, my particular focus while I worked for them was the whole area of deodorant. Not a very exciting area, but uh, they sold a lot of deodorant. And uh, let me tell you, they knew how to make money. I mean, when I started working there, I was thinking, there's only so much deodorant you can sell. People can only use so much. You can only use uh, one lot at a time, I would have thought. But uh, these guys are shrewd. And so one of the things they did uh, while I was there is that they got the the humble roll-on deodorant and they thought, how can we make people use more of this? And so what they did is they got it and they, they looked at the size of the ball and they thought, let's double the size of the ball. And so all of a sudden, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but the the balls and roll-on deodorants are now much bigger than they used to be and they advertise it telling you it's got a smoother glide and things like that, but really all that's happening is you're using it twice as quickly. But who counts how quickly they use deodorant? You just run out and think, I've got to get some more. And they did the same with the spray. Uh, They got a valve that sprayed the the sprayer quicker and they talked about better flow delivery and all this sort of stuff. But it's rubbish. All that's happening is you're using more. Jesus says, look at the people of the world. They are super committed, super thought out when it comes to things like soft drink and soap. He says, we need to be that way about the stuff that really matters. He wants us to take our cue from the manager in the story who had just a small little window of opportunity to get things in order and he took it. 
Now, to my mind, there are a huge number of implications and applications from what Jesus is saying here Uh, and probably too many for us to cover tonight. But what I want us to zoom in on is the application that Jesus gives us in verse 9. Have a look at verse 9. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus, when uh, giving us an example of what it would mean to be shrewd as a Christian, he, he talks about worldly wealth or, or more literally deceitful wealth in comparison to uh, what he talks about in verse 11, true wealth. Worldly wealth, quite simply, uh, is our money or uh, as often referred to, uh, filthy lucre. Every, every culture in the world seems to have some sort of expression for money that hints that there's something just not right about it There's something corrupt, something a bit deceitful about it, something that promises so much and delivers so little. But Jesus says Christians need to be shrewd with money, with our filthy lucre. No, it won't last, but they're here. There is a window of time before God rolls this world up like a blanket and money is irrelevant. Right now it's not. Right now it can be used shrewdly to affect the future. And we know that. We know how much money affects our future, how much it affects the way we plan and the things that we want to do. And Jesus says it's the same when it comes to the things of God. Verse 9 here, this this picture Jesus gives us is not a picture of some desperate loser buying friends. You know, will you be my friend if I give you some money? It's, It's not that. Nor is it a picture of someone buying their way to heaven or buying God's favour. And I think this is where the NIV is somewhat unhelpful to us. The NIV in translating it says, use your money shrewdly so that you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. As if our welcome by God was dependent on the way we use our money. But the truth is our welcome into heaven, having God's favour, having God be pleased with us, cost a whole lot more than all the money we could muster together. It costs the very blood of Jesus. And so that's not what being shrewd with money is about. Now the picture Jesus is painting here of what being shrewd with money is all about is very different and it's amazing. Have another look at verse 9 and here's a more accurate translation, I think. Make friends for yourselves with your money so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Who's the they? It's the friends you've made with your money. You see what Jesus is saying here, if you follow his advice, if we are shrewd with our money, you won't just be welcomed into the heaven by the great king of heaven, Jesus himself. That's a done deal. His blood won that. But you will be welcomed by friends you have made with your money. But only if you're shrewd with it. Let me give you an example of what Jesus is talking about here. In recent months uh, at this church, money has come forward with a specific goal of appointing an international worker for this church. Now this money has come forward and it's meant that the parish council has had the opportunity to plan and make decisions in this direction. Now God willing, we will find just the right person to fill that role. This person, over time, will touch the lives of tens, hundreds, thousands of people 
people who come to Sheffield maybe for just a short time, maybe to study, who will hear the gospel and some will respond. They will trust Jesus and they will go home to their nations, their countries, their tribes and they in turn will impact tens, hundreds, thousands of people from all over the world. Now all of this will happen because someone back here used their money shrewdly. They saw a brief moment of opportunity. They felt the crisis of that moment. They thought about what was needed and they acted. I mean, they could have used their money for all sorts of things, many I'm sure valid, but they didn't. And now someone will lead this huge work that is going on and they will bolster the work that's happening now. People will hear the gospel and some will believe. Now I want you to imagine that person who has made that decision as they arrive in heaven. As they are welcomed by our great king, how good will that moment be when they see Jesus? Imagine the joy of meeting him. But then the icing on the cake, Jesus says, is as they look around heaven, there's a whole lot of faces uh, from different nations, people whom they've never met, looking at them as if they're best friends and saying, brother, thank you. Were it not for you, I would have never heard the gospel. That's what it looks like to make friends with money. And so what Jesus is talking about here is no game with money. It's not monopoly. This is very real. And it is our core business, the core business God is involved in and the core business his people should be involved in because time is short. And you and I are in the position to use our substantial resources to make friends with our money. And the great joy of this place in the time I've been here is that is already happening in so many different ways. Uh, In in a few months, uh, uh, the person who will lead evangelism for this church and the new church plant in time is coming. That's exciting. That has happened because money has been set aside for that. Now, as I drive around Sheffield and I'm slowly getting to know the area, every time I get to a new area, I think, imagine if it was here. Imagine the impact it would have. Well, the student work that is going on, the money that has been set aside uh, for Dave Todd to do the work he is doing, the huge impact that is having as students come into Sheffield and then go back all over the UK. Or as we fund courses like CE and people come under the sound of the gospel, it costs money to put that on. As we fund all sorts of resources for youth and for children's ministry, that's shrewd stuff. As we put our money forward for these things and many more things that I haven't mentioned, what we will find is when we reach that great day in heaven, there will be countless people whose eternal futures were shaped by the shrewd use of money in this place. That's amazing. But you might be sitting there thinking, well, that sounds great, but uh, I'm not in a position to be involved in this sort of business. I'm not a big businessman when it comes to money. I, I have very little Uh, You might still be at school, you might be a student who's sort of up to your ears in loans and all of those sort of things and the the thought of uh, investing in something seems ludicrous. Well, can I encourage you, if that is you, then now is the time to start making plans to be shrewd with your money, getting into good patterns of investing in gospel ministry now, even on a very small scale. This is the time to make those plans. Let me give you another example 
Uh, here is a 20-pound note. Uh, it's real, I promise. Now, uh, I don't know where this 20-pound note has been in the past. I'm sure it's been used for all sorts of things in the past. Some great, some probably pretty ordinary. But right now it's mine. You can't have it. Now think of what I could do with it. Jesus says, be wise. Time is short. Be shrewd. Imagine if I uh, gave it to the ministry of this church. It's not much on its own, is it? It's not going to uh, pay for a new worker. It's not going to uh, even buy uh, more than a few books for a, a Christianity Explored course. But stacked up alongside a whole lot of similar investments, you start to see what Jesus is saying. As I give this £20, this church is freed up to make new decisions for the promotion of the gospel. And wouldn't it be great to meet up in eternal dwellings with the thousands of people that have been affected by this church honouring Christ for the next 200 years by the way it uses its money? That's big business. Well, what about the rest of us, uh, myself included, who do have money, who are in a position to think about how we use the money and the resources that we have, what's it going to mean that this is our core business? Well, elsewhere in the Bible, when it, when it speaks about giving, more often than not it talks about ideas like sacrifice and being generous. And they're good pictures to have in your mind, but I don't think that's the picture here at all. Jesus isn't asking us to sacrifice anything. This is a genuine investment opportunity Rather than waste your money or lose it forever, he is saying use it shrewdly and it will last forever. And let me say, if we're going to be shrewd about our money, I think Luke 16 says it involves three things for all of us. The first of all, like the manager, we need to know our situation. What does it mean to know your situation? Well, first of all, it means to know that you're a Christian, that you have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus that you are looking forward to heaven and it is just around the corner and that you have the most precious treasure you will ever have, relationship with Jesus. It also means that you know that time is short, that in just a little while this king will return and this will all be over. And so given this, when it comes to our money, we have the responsibility to know our situation to know the financial resources that are at our disposal and not not the resources that are at our disposal after we've fulfilled all our commitments and paid for all the things that we want to pay for, but right at the start, what's available to us to invest? To know where the money goes and to know the commitments we have and the ones that we're thinking about being committed to. And secondly, we, like the manager, need to make a plan. You know, next week is the gift day and that's a great time to be making a plan, using this week to come up with the plan to be shrewd with the money in the, in the coming year so that we can plan our investments in eternal dwellings. Let me say, I think when it comes to making a plan, we have to do that on two levels. We have to do it as a whole church. One of the things that uh, I find interesting about the gift day is one of the things that we're doing is that we're, we're looking to, uh, for money to come forward so that we can cover costs, that we can, we can stay above, above water. Now that's a good thing to do but let me say that I don't think many businesses operate that way. They do more than pay bills. They think about what they're going to invest in. They think about what they can do new. So I think we need to plan for that as a church but we also need to plan individually and as families. 
We need to be bold. The image in this parable is not of a bill payer, it's of an entrepreneur. So let me encourage you to be bold. Plan to be regular. Plan to be able to meet needs as they arise. Think about ways that you can free up more money. I mean, we'd do that if the investment was right, wouldn't we? And in God's economy, this investment is right. You know, it's easy to trick ourselves into thinking that things like our mortgages and, and cars and holidays and school fees, that these are the big business issues of our life. And gospel ministry is the side business that we've got involved in. Well, we'd never say that, but we can, we can operate that way with our money. Jesus says the children of the, this world would never make that mistake. Let me give you one final example, the company Ford. Now their core business is saloon cars, four-wheel drives, SUVs, family, boring, sensible cars. They make millions of them, they sell millions of them. And along the way, uh, as a company, they've dabbled in luxury cars, things like uh, Austin Martin and Jaguar, just to sort of diversify. But uh, in recent times, as profits have dipped, as things have got harder, they have made quick and ruthless decisions to cut those parts of their business off. When their core business was threatened, they dropped these luxuries cold because they know what they're doing. God's question is, do we? If money was tight, and for many it always is, what goes first? Gospel ministry or Sky TV? That's something I'm thinking through at the moment. Gospel ministry or the renovations on the holiday house? Gospel ministry or the second car? Gospel ministry or the school fees. Now none of these things are in and of themselves wrong or a problem, are they? But it comes down to what is our core business. Jesus says we should know what our core business is. Gospel ministry is that business. Being shrewd with money as a Christian will always feel weird. It's like uh, one of those ideas on the website, stupid idea that actually worked. That's what it will look like in this world. At the end of of the book of Jonah uh, in the Old Testament, God shows his heart for this world and he shows his perspective on the moments we have left in this life. Looking over the great city of Nineveh, he says, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Now, I don't know what Sheffield's population is yet. I imagine it's much larger than that. And the vast, vast majority do not know their right hand from their left when it comes to God. And that is no small problem. That is a tragedy of the first order because in the end, all of this will pass. It will be over in a moment and the only thing that will last are questions about eternal homes This is the business that God is involved in and he is putting all his resources into it, some of which includes our money. He says, be shrewd, stop, feel the crisis, assess your situation, work out the possibilities and send the money forward and look forward to the day when you will see the fruit of that shrewdness. Let's pray.